Welcome to Nebula Nerd Talk, the home of all things cloud-defined storage. This is episode 6, thanks for tuning in. Now over to the host of Nerd Talk and Chief Neb Nerd, Clint Wyckoff. All right. Hey there, everyone. My name is Clint Wyckoff, and I'm the host of Nebula Nerd Talk, which is your one-stop shop for all things cloud-defined storage. This is episode number six, and the topic of today is automation. Now, this is a very special episode in the history of Nerd Talk, as this is the first one that we're live streaming out live. So if you wouldn't mind, do me a favor, take the time to engage with us, engage with us there in the chat. We'll be sure to uh, to answer your questions there live. Uh, I will be keeping an eye on it. I do have a, a laptop over here that we're keeping an eye on. So we'll do the best to answer those questions live. If you're watching and you're catching us on the replay or perhaps via podcast, thanks for taking the time to check us out. We hope to see you in a future live stream, right? So now, as I mentioned, the topic of today is automation. And with that in mind, I have a very special guest, right? So Tobias Flitch is a principal product manager with me here at Nebulon. And uh, Tobias is a personal friend of mine. Uh, so Tobias, thanks for taking a few minutes out of your time and welcome to Nerd Talk. Yeah, thanks Clint, thanks for having me. And uh, just a heads, as a heads up, I'm streaming here from my apartment and today is leaf blower day, I should say. So hopefully uh, the microphone is not picking up on that and you can hear me fine. But I'm really excited. Uh, have a little bit of discussion with you here. Awesome. Before we jump into the topic of automation for today, there are a few housekeeping items. Now, as I mentioned, the streaming is live. Uh, so if you hear my doorbell or my dogs bark because the Amazon guy or Gale decided to come and drop a package off, I apologize. Uh, this is live. But also, please engage in the chat. Feel free to ask us questions. Uh, follow us on social media at Nebulon Inc. using the hashtag uh, NerdTalk. And also, if you like this, you'd like to be notified when new episodes or live streams are going to go up, <clears throat> please give us a subscribe there. You can either subscribe to us on YouTube or on your favorite podcast channel. So with that, Tobias, that's enough of the administrative topics for today. Uh, let's get to, let's, let's talk some automation. What do you say? You ready? I am ready when you are. Awesome. So automation means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, right? So, and it can often be complex intimidating, scare people away, right? So let's let's focus on trying to simplify things, right? And first talk about some of the design principles of cloud-defined storage and uh, which ultimately lead a customer to the end state of self-service infrastructure, automation. How does that sort of fit into the, to the grand scheme of things for, for Nebulon? All right, um, to answer that, uh, let, me, let me go back a little bit of in, in time. So, um, you know, just before I joined Nebulon, I was working in the field, right? I was selling um, storage solutions, scale-out storage solutions. I was selling uh, and building hyperconverged solutions. And then in the last, uh, in the most recent years, the last five years, I was uh, spending quite a lot of time in the area of big data analytics and machine learning and in that area. So over time, you know, in, in my personal career, I went from, you know, infrastructure, higher up the stack operating system, and then at the end of the day into the actual application usage. And what I realized in the last uh, five years, and this is also reflected in, in, in a lot of the customer conversations that we're having is that um, enterprises care less and less about infrastructure itself. And mm -hmm. when I mean enterprises, I should say, you know, application owners or product teams, the people that are building products, building software, that differentiate the enterprise in the market, right? Mm -hmm. So, so those kind of um, users, 
you know, they're not too interested in what exactly the infrastructure is underneath. And I have to nuance that, of course, there's always like the, the use cases um, where it does matter, where the user is interested. And this example is, um, you know, high performance computing, um, machine learning or, 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 or data science for that matter, where customers are, for example, interested in using graphics cards or GPUs and getting, you know, the highest performance, getting the lowest latency to it, just to achieve more and to um, get to results um, quite soon. But more in general, right, the, the larger portion of the enterprise um, doesn't care uh, exactly what it is, uh, you know, what is the infrastructure underneath, but more about how they interact with the infrastructure, you know, how they provision infrastructure, how they get to the resources that they need. Right. And the really the 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 standard for that, you know, and, and you see that in the in the interest in public cloud, the standard is real really the public cloud services where you don't really see the details of what is really underneath of the services that you're provisioning. Mm. Um, you know, there's exceptions to that of course as well. But it is more about, you know, the capability of having this this uh, you know, you know, this major catalog of services that I can pick and choose from, right? I can spin up a database, I can spin up, you know, an application, I can spin up compute instances, whatever really what I need. And and the key thing here is that um, you know, I can do this myself as 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 the app guy. And I can also do that uh, programmatically, right? I, I, I have um, the sort of control of, of over infrastructure. And that's really one of the, the design goals that we had was how can we bring this, this experience to, to on-prem infrastructure, like what you have in your data center? Right, and that's obviously been a, a challenge for folks. And it's, and it's also intimidating too. So. Whenever we start thinking about, like you made, you mentioned there, Amazon or AWS, for example, right? The, the primitives, you go out utility style computing. You know, I just go out, I get what I need, deploy it, I click go, the magic happens behind the scenes. Well, that's all based on, you know, APIs and the, the web services that the, the cloud platform has been built upon. From a, from a Nebulon perspective, how, what was our approach whenever we were designing the product to take an API first uh, design principle there? Right. Yeah. So th th that's a that's a good question. So, um, right. W one of the reasons I think why um, we haven't seen like the, the same experience on prem as we see in public cloud is actually the the lack of of you know accessible APIs. And I'm not saying that it, they don't exist, right? Because there's numerous vendors. Pretty much everyone today has. An, an API that you can use to program your infrastructure. You can, you know, define the infrastructure, but they're not all built the same, right? Mm -hmm. So for the for, for some, right, you know, some of these um, infrastructures exist for decades now. Uh, for those, is bolted on, and they were not built with API and programmability in mind. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, newer players in the market, of course, they build APIs in their platform from day one. Um, um, however, um, even with that, right, most of these products um, build the API onto the product itself, onto the device that you have in your data center. And, and when you think about it, especially at, at, at larger scale, that has numerous disadvantages. Uh, for one, right, you have now, you know, you know, numerous devices that you have to individually talk to, uh, to their APIs. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, on the other hand is, you know, if you have a large infrastructure, they're probably on different revisions, right? You have software version one and software version two on different devices of the same type, which basically is something that you have to account for when you program against those because the behavior is different, right? So there's, there's certain things um, with existing API approaches that are, that are not ideal. So right. when, when we built cloud-defined storage, right, it was imperative to us that we employ an API-first design. And, you know, there's also different, different understandings of, of what an API-first design means. One is, um, for example, everything that you do, every feature that you build starts with the API and the design starts with how do I interact with a certain feature with the infrastructure. Others are, um, you know, that there's no undocumented uh, APIs, that there's no nothing hidden, there's nothing where I do, can do something, some things with the API, but other things I still have to go to uh, a user interface or a command line utility um, and things uh, like that. So we've tried to to do both of those things, but then elevate that even further, which is moving the the control plane and the API access layer to the cloud, right? So instead of, you know, talking to, you know, hundreds to thousands of API endpoints, we wanted to bring in this cloud experience as you have for with AWS, you brought it up, where you have a single console, right? You have a single API endpoint that you talk to from which you can then basically manage your entire infrastructure. Um, and with that, I really mean manage everything um, in cloud-defined storage, right? All of the capabilities that we've built um, have an API, so basically that you can control every single aspect of your Nebulon infrastructure through that API. In fact, mm -hmm. our user interface that we've built is leveraging the same API, right? Okay. So you basically can control everything from this this cloud control plane from this uh, single API. What's interesting there is the fact you mentioned uh, like API versions earlier mm -hmm. a few minutes ago when you were talking there, and the fact that we separate the cloud control plane from the on-prem data plane allows us to update the control plane, but it also allows us to make sure that you're consuming the latest API version at all times, right? right. So you yeah. as a customer don't have to worry about managing or upgrading an on-prem um, app factory, if you will, the, the actual management plane um, to, to utilize the APIs, but it's also built with the API first, meaning that everything you do inside of our console is is consuming the API. We started with the API first and then built the, the, the actual user interface on top of it. Very cool stuff there. So from an API perspective, what type, not that it necessarily, I guess, it's like you, it's religious, I understand that, uh, but <laughs> what, what, the, what type of API are we, we utilizing and is that important? Yeah, I, I don't wanna go into too much depth there. As you said, it's a religious discussion, whether it's, you know, or, you know what type of an API you, you're using, but, um, We've opted for um, GraphQL okay. as the technology, the, the underlying technology. And the, you know, the one thing that I wanna call out that is good about opting for that um, type of API if, is it self-description um, or that it's self-describing, right? So one of the things um, with API first design is, you know, you know I can, build either you know this rest api and give you like hundreds of documents of pages about documenting how how i do certain things with that api like mm -hmm. what does a resource mean what are the properties how do i navigate 
and things like that. And from that perspective, um, GraphQL, I think, is a, was a good choice from, from our engineers um, as it is um, self-describing, right? I, I know the scheme. I can know exactly what I can interact with, what are the individual items right there from, from within the API. Uh, the, the other thing that um, we, we try to employ is just um, standards, right? So um, when, you, when we're talking about configuration, configuration changes of infrastructure, certain settings, um, um, that is mostly done through the GraphQL interface. I shouldn't say mostly, it's exclusively done through the uh, GraphQL interface. But through the same API endpoint, we've also, we're also providing you with, um, with metrics, right? Performance data, capacity utilization, that sort of information. Um, for which we've opted um, to use a, a more time series standard, which is a PromQL API, okay. um, which is commonly used, right? You, you know it, um, you're, you're a cloud guy from you know, Kubernetes um, installations or cloud native applications where you have Prometheus as your, you know, your, your, your collector of performance metrics, but then you have the Prometheus protocol, PromQL to access and retrieve that, uh, that information. Um, and then there's various different tools to to chart and in in display that information if, as an example Grafana, right? Okay. So we try to to go to a, a standard to what is familiar to application owners, to developers, what they've already been been using instead of learning just an entirely new uh, set of APIs. Sure. So the I think the other interesting thing there is you talk about automation and APIs, right? Especially for like the infrastructure admin, um, because Oftentimes, cloud-defined storage does end up in the hands of an infrastructure administrator, not just a product owner or a development team that might be familiar yeah. with consuming and writing against an API. How else can can customers get started with automation um, leveraging cloud-defined storage outside of a GraphQL API? Yeah, and this is this is really digging into this uh, religious uh, piece that you mentioned earlier, right? So. Um, similar as, you know, preference in terms of what the API is itself, what technology is behind it. Similarly, you know, developers are, are, are sometimes religious about the programming language that they're using, right? Mm -hmm. You have, you know, people, Go is currently, you know, quite popular, um, but then you have your, you know, your PowerShell users that are automating in a, in a scriptable format, and, and especially when you talk when you talk uh, or a look at VMware environments with Power Power CLI, right? Customers are used to automating their infrastructure with Power CLI, um, so they're looking for a PowerShell equivalent to to manage the underlying infrastructure. Um, and similarly, you have like developers that are just uh, more interested you know, more you know, savvy in Python, mm -hmm. multiple reasons, you know, platform independence, et cetera. But you have different um, different types of users, different types of different types of skill sets. Mm -hmm. And remember, right, you talked about it at the very beginning, automation in and by itself is not easy, right? right. Automation is complicated. You have to know the nuances of the infrastructure, what the capabilities of the infrastructure are, how to get there, like what functions do I need to call to, you know, get to an end state. Um, and so, so you need to be quite familiar with the infrastructure, but then also with the programming language. To ease some of that complexity, right, on the one hand, we're, we're providing customers with a set of SDKs okay. so that you don't have to 
natively talk to the GraphQL interfaces um, and, you know, build out all of the, the routines that are necessary to get your infrastructure to, to where you want it to be. Um, but we provided you a, a wrapper around that API in the form of SDKs that automate some of the, the steps and basically um, help you getting started quicker. Um, but as a, as a next level to that, of course, as I said, you know, you need to be familiar with infrastructure and the individual steps that you have to take to get to an end state. Um, what we're seeing is that, you know, there's, there's little interest on actually building these, let's call it pipelines, these automation um, sequences. Instead, there's a, a, a need and yet again, right, the, the public cloud sets the standard here is to just tell an automation system, tell a, 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 a piece of software or an instance to say, this is where I want to end up, right? Mm -hmm. I want my infrastructure to look exactly like that. And you figure out how to get there, right? Um, and this is a, you know, a next level uh, on top of just SDKs, which is, um, you know, some of the automation workflows tools. And I think uh, Ansible and Terraforms are examples of, of existing software technologies that help you with that approach, right? You can tell the system, this is how my infrastructure should look like. Um, and then the smarts inside the playbooks, the smarts inside these automation tools, um, basically take all of the necessary steps to get you there. Sure. So um, I did just have is, up on my, hang on, pump the sure. brakes just there for one second. I did have up on my screen um, the Python. So you can go to pypy.org and you can grab the NebPy client, which is our Python SDK, as well as I did pull up a link to our quick start documentation. Um, so for folks that are purchased or looking to purchase cloud-defined storage and want to get started with our SDKs, it's really simple. It's really easy. I've done a lot of personal testing with it. Um, uh, the other thing I will mention here is just a quick housekeeping item for those that have just joined the stream. Thanks for taking a few minutes out of your day to join in um, on Nerd Talk episode six. The topic of today is automation, and I do have one of our principal program managers, Tobias Flitch, um, talking with us. So please, if you have any questions, throw those in the chat. I want to make sure uh, you have the opportunity to get your questions answered live. So Tobias, as we sort of circle the wagons there, we've talked about APIs and our, uh, our API first design principles, our GraphQL single endpoint UI utilizes all the, the APIs there. So everything that we're doing through the user interface is consuming our GraphQL based APIs. If a customer isn't familiar or doesn't want to consume an API and wants to make things significantly easier on themselves, they can consume, they can utilize our Python SDK. Um, the nice thing I will say about the Python SDK is it automates a lot of the response um, and uh, sort of integration back and forth with the API because the actual SDK itself is a front end and it's making the GraphQL API calls behind the scenes. So you're using traditional Python, you know, module um, with the, the classes and all those Python-y specific items there. So it makes things a lot easier, right? I can personally speak to that. The other thing on top of that you mentioned there is infrastructure as code to be. So we are looking to build our own Ansible module. We have sort of that going internally as a fling project at this point. And then we also are investigating the, the future and creating and building our own Terraform provider as well to give folks that starter from an infrastructure as code perspective to make it a lot easier, you know, to go out and run my Ansible dash module 
go deploy, right? You can front end that with right. AWX or OpenShift Tower, uh, Ansible Tower, for example. Maybe let's double click on that and how that might plug into a self-service environment and sort of bring in some of those cloud-like experiences on-prem into a customer's own data center. Right, yeah. So so the thing that I want to, to mention there when, when we're talking about uh, Ansible and Terraform specifically, right? There's other automation tools out there, right? Mm -hmm. But um, we prioritize those two. Um, on the one hand, Terraform, it is an established infrastructure automation tool, right? You can use it today to automate your VMware infrastructure. You can use it to automatically provision your cloud infrastructure. And, and it's something that customers are familiar with in working um, with setting up infrastructure, right? And when I say infrastructure, I mean, basically, you know, provisioning operating systems, provisioning compute instances and things like that, right? Um, so we want to give customers something that they're familiar with when working with infrastructure. On the other hand, Ansible um, is more in the application configuration space, right? It has a lot more integrations, a lot more, um, you know, capabilities that help you to configure actual applications, right? Uh, set, giving a database certain settings, um, forming database clusters, or, you know, you name it, anything on the application side of things. Um, we haven't talked about the automation capabilities that are natively in our product, mm -hmm. right? And the key thing here is that we don't really call it automation, right? But our customers do. And, um, you know, it, it took us a while to, to realize that, you know, what we're doing just natively with the product, with our template-based provisioning approach would otherwise, if it wouldn't exist, be really a heavy lift, right? Um, and just to, to recap, the template-based provisioning basically allows you to build a, uh, a template that basically tells your infrastructure um, what operating system to deploy, you know, what, um, what storage configuration to use. And then you can basically tell when you provision infrastructure, you can basically um, tell uh, Nebula and Cloud to fight storage by use of this template, how it should look like. And then Nebulon uh, Cloud-defined storage would then take that template and apply it to a set of servers. Uh, it would automatically provision the operating system. And if you're using cloud in it, you know, configure those operating systems and install all of the software packages that are necessary, um, provisioning data volumes for your application. And you end up with basically a set of servers, a set of compute nodes with operating system deployed, application installed, um, data volumes provisioned, um, if that is what the application template says. So it's quite involved. So essentially when you've built a, an end pod or an application cluster with Nebulon Cloud Defined Storage, where it ends is really, um, or where it can end is at the at the um, operating system layer and applications installed, right? So the, 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 the piece that is missing, right, is really configuring the application to your liking. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and Ansible allows us to do that, right? So the smarts that is in Ansible, the integrations that Ansible has with all, you know, pretty much every application that is out there allows to really to do end-to-end -end infrastructure provisioning, including the application. And that's why we're focusing initially for Ansible as this is allowing the customers, um, you mentioned self-service infrastructure. Mm -hmm. um, this allows customers really to build this, this, this catalog of, services right 
you can build a catalog saying, okay, I need now a, uh, a scale out uh, database, let's call it a, a MongoDB database. Um, and that is basically embodied in an Ansible playbook that would automatically provision the infrastructure underneath, install the operating system and the applications on the cloud defined storage side, and then configure the cluster with the right database settings, setting up the tables, et cetera, what you need, right? So that is really the, the, the collection of those those capabilities allows customers to build this repository of self-service. So the uh, infrastructure. I'll be honest here with you, Tobias. <clears throat> I consider you to be a, a close friend, so I'm going to share this little secret for you with you. The, the whenever you you mentioned configuration templates, right? So if for those folks online haven't listened or checked out any of the previous episodes of Nerd Talk, we deliver our data plane as a scale out IoT endpoint inside of an application server that forms an end pod. It connects to local solid state disks, SSDs, and it creates a shared uh, shared storage pool for your apps to run on, right? So now these configuration templates are also able to control the boot device also. So now I have a template-based approach for provisioning my physical servers where I can cloud and enable the actual boot device and, and, and go through and, and install, you know, Apache, pull down updates, you know, get that web server up and running super fast, right? We also support Kubernetes so you can run bare metal Linux, uh, install Kubernetes, scale out those, the, the pod there so you can run container-based applications. But the entire approach is driven upon templates, which is very much like you were to go out and begin consuming cloud-based resources. So a lot of the design principles and pillars that Nebulon cloud-defined storage, right? We do, it may on the surface initially appear like, oh, it's just another, you know, storage play, if you will, but I can guarantee you that's absolutely not what cloud-defined storage is. The fact that we are inside of the application server as a scale-out performance device that's controlled by the cloud with a template-based approach, that opens so many doors of opportunities for our customers, regardless if they're large enterprises or service providers. For me personally, Tobias, that was like, that was the light bulb moment where I was like, I get it. It makes sense, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, I'm curious, like, did you have somewhat similar experience there am i alone or do you how do you how do you feel about that <laughs> i mean we talked about this um on, on numerous occasions right um yeah no i'm i'm with you actually that's that's one of the reasons why you know that got me interested in working at nebulon right mm -hmm. and it's all part through our cloud control plane uh in in this unique architecture right um i don't want to downplay the the value of the the SPU in the server, right? The PCI device that you mentioned, mm -hmm. um, it, as it's provide, providing enterprise data services, right? The, the data deduplication, the compression, the snapshots, the cloning, right? The high availability, all of those things that you would normally get from enterprise class external storage array. Mm -hmm. um, but it is it is necessary to deliver some of the, the experience, right? So the objective is really to, to to mimic and bring this cloud experience that you have in the public cloud down to on-prem infrastructure. And if you think about it, the more devices, the more you know knobs and, and, and things that you have to look after and to tune mm -hmm. in a traditional three-tier architecture, right? The servers, fiber channel switches, and then external storage arrays, 
there's just more things that you have to do, more things that you have to automate, more things that can just go wrong, right? So changing this architectural approach of what happens in the data center in and by itself is, is necessary to, to actually achieve what you just described, including the fact you know, that you can easily provision the operating system. Um, and then the, the other half to that is really that the, the smarts, right? The automation capabilities, the, yeah. the templates that we continuously improve, right? And they're all sitting in the cloud. So we can take telemetry information from the, from the actual implemented workloads and constantly tweak the way, um, you know, these applications clusters are set up and, you know, make sure that the infrastructure underneath is is catering well to the applications that you deploy sure um and this is this is much similar to the cloud experience right where you don't necessarily see where your storage is coming from you know inside the cloud right you see you have your compute instances my azure virtual hard disk or my ebs volume regardless if it's gp2 or io um you right. know yeah i just consume and, my and storage that, Right, and, and that's that's the idea. So that we can take the telemetry, we can optimize um, and give you suggestions on you know improving infrastructure. Of course, we're not you know automatically doing stuff in your on-prem infrastructure. There's valid reasons why you know we don't want to do that. In fact, with our security triangle, we're unable to do so. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so the goal is to give you suggestions. So basically, a, a single click of a button. Okay. Up, accept a recommendation and you know optimize my infrastructure but really the, the power comes from from this combination of constantly optimizing you know your your templates constantly optimizing your infrastructure from the cloud mm -hmm. where we have the analytics capabilities and sharing that um, with the customers immediately as you said earlier right it's software as a service is like your gmail right you get new features constantly um, overnight but then on the other hand, right, the, the device, of course, in, in the server is, is necessary to, um, you know, to make this entire installment easier. Awesome. So Tobias, let's, uh, let's, I think we've covered off our topics for today. I was just looking at the, uh, the notes that we wanted to, to, to cover. So just quickly wrapping up here, some call to action. So if a customer wanted to learn more, get started with cloud-defined storage, I'll throw links to the SDK documentation, the Python um, uh, pypy.org repository that we have out there. How else can customers get started with uh, with cloud-defined storage in their automation journey? Right. Well, first of all, watch your previous episodes, of course. Right. <laughs> uh, I think that is doing a lot of the groundworks on on helping customers understand what we're building and mm -hmm. why we're building it. Um, you know, inc including when CMAC um, talks about the. Uh, uh, founding the company right right uh, then um of course uh, you said it our, our github pages gives gives um everyone a good understanding what automation capability there there is like what are there all of the features that you can control um uh, but you know if you're really interested in learning more about cloud defined storage it's really to get your hands um uh, get your hands dirty and getting mm -hmm. a, a a live demo um, you know, try it out yourself and, you know, just go to our website and request a demo and um, we can set up an, a demo, a live demo and showcase our automation capabilities, show the product capabilities, but also give everyone an opportunity to, you know, try it, try it themselves. 
Right. And if anyone, if you're interested in learning more, you can go out to the, to the website there. You can email us at email us. E- oh my goodness. Email the show at nerdtalk at nebulon.com. This isn't cut. This is hundred percent live. So that's the benefit is you get to see these little, uh, these little bloopers along the way and get to experience them firsthand. So you can email the show nerdtalk at nebulon.com. And we'll, I, I'd actually personally be happy to, uh, to give you a demo, give you a walkthrough, maybe one of the upcoming episodes to be us. Maybe we take that and actually do that live with the with the folks online and go through the UI, walk through, do some SDK demos. But I think that'd be sure. I think that'd be valuable. I think that'd be interesting to uh, to do. Um, so, Sounds folks, like let's get ready to uh, to wrap things up here. Um, check us out. The next episode is Monday, January eighth uh, at twelve p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I'm actually going to have our COO Craig Nunez on with me live here on Nerd Talk. Um, so folks, it's been great having you here today. Like I said, this is the first live stream that we've done. Be sure to check us out, throw us a subscribe, give us a like if you, if you like this. My name is Clint Wyckoff. This is Nerd Talk and, uh, we will check you next time. Thanks a lot, Tobias, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for having me.